Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're hanging in there. I hope things are going okay at your house. Things are getting back to a new normal at my house. Summer just started, so that'll be interesting. I know we start a lot earlier than a lot of people on the East Coast. So what's today? Today's Monday. I'm recording this on Monday, Memorial Day, a week before you're actually going to be listening to this. And we're trying to find a beat. My kids need structure. They need some sort of structure, even if it just means like we schedule a walk or we schedule a board game throughout the day. So we're trying to come up with that. And I'm sure that many of you are in the same boat. So hopefully things are going okay. Today, we are going to be doing my monthly segment where I do a member spotlight. So I invite somebody from the AT Parenting community. That's my membership community where you belong and you get access to just this wealth of resources, but also this amazing community of other parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. And you can learn more about that at atparentingcommunity.com. We will be opening up the doors again at the end of June, so you can get on the wait list if you're interested. First Tuesday of every month, I bring someone from the community on to talk about their particular journey and their particular struggle. And I've been finding people, and I wasn't doing this on purpose, who are bringing, they're highlighting different issues. So we've highlighted various things. We've highlighted things like picking, separation anxiety, Lots of OCD specific types of things that kids are going through. Um, I just recorded an episode with someone who was going through intensive outpatient programming. And so they talk about what IOP is like. And that is a really good question. And that will be happening next month and the first Tuesday of next month. So today I have someone who's very important to the community coming on. I interviewed Lynn. We actually recorded this quite a long time ago, way before the pandemic. And She talks about her journey having a child who appeared to have anxiety, but then as she progressed, she started to realize that there were a lot of spectrum issues and she was looking at possibly ASD. And so we talk about how ASD and anxiety look similar, how they look different and how you approach them in a different way. So I know that's a very important topic for a lot of people. We actually have quite a few members in the AT parenting community who have kids on the spectrum. And because those are often comorbid conditions, they always kind of go together. We have a lot of people who are dealing with both. So I hope that you find some good insights from Lynn. She is incredibly helpful in our community. She actually helps me moderate both communities, my membership community and my public AT Parenting private Facebook group. So many of you are very familiar with Lynn and how incredibly helpful she is. And now we get to hear a little bit more about her story. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lynn. Well, I want to welcome Lynn to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So this is part of our member spotlight and you're part of the AT parenting community. You're actually a very big part of the AT parenting community because you're an admin and you help your community manager and really help the community, but you have your own story and I kind of plucked you from the community. <laughs> so I was like, Lynn, come come help me. (laughs) So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because I think you have a really important story 
to talk about, and one that I haven't really addressed on the podcast so far, when we talk about autism and anxiety in that relationship, but not to give the game away already. So let's just jump in and talk about your youngest and some of the early struggles that you started to have with her. Okay, so my daughter started very early, even as soon as she started speaking, she didn't speak in front of other people for like up until the age of five. She was pretty much mute to anybody else who came across her. Everybody asked me, does she speak? Does she speak? Yes, she speaks, but just not in front of other people. And then when my oldest started school, she started refusing to go to the park, didn't want to go out anywhere pretty much. School started the first year I knew it was going to be rough. There was a lot of tears. She had a hard time with the transition. Was she diagnosed with selective mutism when she was little? No, she never got that diagnosis. Doctors here are, I don't know. <laughs> it's been a struggle to get doctors to listen. So, And you're in Canada, just for those that... Yeah, I'm in Canada. Know. So the end of first year, her French teacher at the time suggested that I have her speech tested. And I did have her speech tested in the summer. And it came back just a mild speech delay. Everything was fine. And so we have two years of kindergarten here. So for senior year of kindergarten, it actually started off pretty well, better than I was expecting. And then we went downhill badly. (laughs) Circle time became a huge issue. My daughter was having many struggles at school. And that was kind of like the tip of the iceberg and everything went downhill badly. So after a very rough year, we decided that we'd move the girls' schools. And so she started grade one at a new school. That transition, I didn't expect to be easy and it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. But the new school was much better equipped and they saw the signs. And so when she tried to climb the fence within the first two weeks of school to escape, they put a lot of accommodations in place and it was a much better fit for us. So she's been at that school now for, this is her third year there. And there's still ups and downs, but she's better accommodated. Yeah. So what grade is she in now? She's in grade three, but she's a young grade three because she just turned eight in December. So yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that like, and maybe it's because I've known you for a little while, but like to me, she seems that's too old for her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how can she be eight? But I think it's because I've just been hearing about her for, you know, yeah. a few years. And, like, I don't know. Like here it's like earlier, the better to start school, which doesn't make it any easier for kids that have, you know, different learning abilities. So it's yeah. been for several different reasons for her at school. So yeah. Yeah, that's interesting how they do like a two years in kindergarten. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't parents know that. like it because it's a free daycare. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, when your child's three and starting school in a class of 30 kids, it's rough. Oh, that is rough, especially if that's not like something you need or want, you know, that is rough. Yeah. Well, legally, you don't have to send them until they're six. Okay. But um, we live in a French area and I'm not French and I didn't want my kids behind in school before they even got started. So I wanted her to be immersed in what everybody else was being immersed in. So that makes sense. So she's in third grade. She's eight. I don't know why I've never like, I've never realized that she's the same age as my daughter. I've known you. Isn't that weird? 
Yeah, yeah. how the brain works. But she is, because I don't know, sometimes I feel like you can anchor everybody else's kids' ages around your kids. You're like, oh, they're like a year younger than my daughter. Oh, they're two years older than my daughter. Yeah, yeah. It's like six degrees to like my kid. But so I know it's been a long journey for you because you started off in the community and in our large Facebook group, like asking a lot of questions about her behavior early on. Yeah, originally I thought it was just anxiety. And then around the age of six, she started asking, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I remember asking a few times in a large community, like, do your kids ask these questions? And everybody was like, oh yeah, that's normal. And I was like, I have an older child and she doesn't ask to the same extent. Like, yeah, she'll ask occasionally what something means, but this was like constant asking me what things mean. And I, and I didn't understand why she didn't understand. <laughs> Basically, I was confused why she was asking all the time. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So here they don't like to diagnose kids until they're six. And so we finally got an anxiety diagnosis at that age. So she was almost halfway through grade one at that point. Mm. And uh, so she received a diagnosis of social and separation anxiety. And from there, the psychologist recommended an OT evaluation and a speech assessment. And so the school provided both of those within a few months. And her OT evaluation turned up like a bunch of different struggles, fine gross motor, some sensory issues, you know, a lot of little things, working memory issues. And then she was also diagnosed with extreme word retrieval, which took me by surprise. I don't know. I guess I thought it was just one of those quirky things. She was just like, you know, she'll say sugar, but she'll mean flour. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it. And then like when that diagnosis came in the group, I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like very confused and very, I don't know, that one took me by surprise. Out of all of them, that one took me by surprise. But now that I understand the signs, I can see it way better now. <laughs> so Yeah, I think you're like, your, your journey was kind of muddy because, you know, you were in the group for anxiety. You were asking questions to parents who predominantly were raising anxious kids. And yeah. her symptoms were just not 100% lining up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably annoying you and I'd be like um I don't know Lynn I think that sounds a little bit more like on the spectrum I don't know Lynn I think that's kind of a spectrumy kind of thing <laughs> I was like very like typical idea that I I don't know I just didn't see the signs and they were always there but like doctors have also not seen the signs like her developmental pediatrician I went with a list of, of all the signs that I see in her and even she looks at them as like separate pieces and not a big picture. So it's uh, been frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in this episode is really good because I think it can save some other people some frustration because eventually you went on and she got a diagnosis of ASD, right? No, she hasn't been diagnosed yet. She'll be diagnosed. She hasn't. So you're in yeah. the process. Yeah. I'm pretty much 95% certain that it's going to happen <laughs> this summer. Finally. Like 99.9% sure. <laughs> but I mean, not, not that professionals will give you that diagnosis, but you know, that, that you're yeah. accurate in that assumption. And I think that yeah. that's the hard part about having kids who have autism, like, or, you know, autism spectrum disorder issues and having anxiety is that a lot of, and I know that you've lived this is like, 
there are all these symptoms that if you look at them as a puzzle piece and you're not looking at the entire puzzle, you're not going to see the big picture. And yeah. unfortunately we have, you know, you can have an OT who sees the sensory component or a speech who sees the word retrieval component or a mental health therapist, you know, who sees separation anxiety, social anxiety, or just generalized anxiety and not putting all those puzzle pieces together and looking at like the entire picture. Yeah. Like the developmental pediatricians, like, I don't see it. I'm like, it's there. <laughs> you just have to dig deeper. But we did go quickly through ADOS and she's like, oh, maybe. And, uh. <laughs> and I think that's the hard part, especially for girls on the spectrum, is yeah. that they're just not presenting in the way that a lot of people stereotypically think that someone with ASD would present. You know, do they give yeah. good eye contact? Okay, well, I checked that off. So they're friendly and they're loving, so I'll check that off. I don't think they're on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, My daughter doesn't make eye contact, but everybody just kind of put it down to her social anxiety. I don't really think she has social anxiety. I think it's her brain wiring that causes her a lot of anxiousness in social situations, which is different than having social anxiety. She's not fearful of what others think for the most part, but, you know, her slow processing, her word retrieval, her sensory processing, all these things make conversation and just being social difficult for her. Yeah, which totally makes sense. And I think a lot of kids on the spectrum are misdiagnosed with social anxiety um, yeah. or selective mutism. You know, I think there's a lot of overlap in some misdiagnoses. Sometimes yeah. kids have both, but with social anxiety, I don't see that because with social anxiety, it is the fear of criticism and judgment. And with kids on the spectrum, it looks like social anxiety because they're anxious in social situations. But like you said, for a totally different reason. Like, what if they ask me a question? I don't understand it. What if I don't have the right word? What if something happens suddenly and I don't know how to like handle that? That's totally different. Yeah. So what were some of the signs that you saw that you were leaning more towards ASD? So once I figured out what the, what does that mean questions (laughs) actually met with your help, it was actually her literal concrete thinking that was causing her to ask, what does that mean? all the time. She's extremely literal in her thinking. And then there's been a bunch of different small occasions. Last summer, my oldest was doing soccer and my youngest and I would go and watch the games. And at one point I thought she was making friends with this younger girl. They seemed to be hitting it off. She had played at the park with her a couple times right near the soccer field. And I thought, oh wow, like she's making a new friend. For my daughter, that doesn't really happen very much. So I was excited about this. And then then she started not wanting to go to the games. And then when she, we were at the games, she would like pretty much almost hide herself <laughs> so she wasn't seen. And she didn't want the girls like talking with her. And then I asked her one day at bedtime, I was like, I notice you avoid people sometimes. I'm just curious why that is. And um she was tearful when she said, I don't like to be so many personalities. I just want to be me. And wow. uh, that really hit me. <laughs> yeah, it's a deep comment. Yeah. So that's when I knew that she was doing a lot of masking. And for her, it's easier if she doesn't, you know, try and make new friends because then it doesn't cause her to have to mask. It's her way of escaping masking. So Yeah. And so exhausting probably for yeah. her to have to put all that energy in there. 
she's always been like the kid who is not interested in other kids and well she has a couple of good friends now and I feel like one for sure she doesn't really have the mask with the other one but like school is is hard <laughs> there's a lot of masking that goes on at school whether she wants to or not so yeah I try not to uh, force that when we're not <laughs> at school yeah and I, and I think kids who are on the spectrum the autistic spectrum have anxiety. A lot of them do, not all of them, yeah. but a lot of them do. And it's not that they don't have anxiety. I think it's just what is what the origin of the anxiety is. I think that's where the difference is. It's not the typical anxieties that they, I mean, they do have some phobias, but yeah, their anxiety looks a little bit different than what would be typical. A lot of my daughters, as I said, is just because of her brain wiring and what if I don't understand what somebody said? Because I think literally. Yeah. I mean, and you know, they can have anxiety disorders and ASD, or they could just be anxious about spectrum issues. Like you said, you know, I don't know what to expect. Transitions are hard. Food could be hard. People are hard. And those all cause like anticipatory anxiety. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that would be a huge one. And that's, it's still an anxiety issue that needs to be addressed. And then a lot of times on top of it, they do have like phobias or not with your daughter, but some have OCD issues where they have compulsive behavior. Those do have to be handled in kind of an OCD sort of way or generalized anxiety sort of way. But I think also you have the ASD piece, which you have to attack anxiety a little bit differently. And I know we've talked about this in the AT parenting community. You're actually a really good, you're kind of like the voice of autism in our community. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so glad we have you in there. I kind of go whole hog on all these things. Anxiety <laughs> voice. Now I'm, <laughs> yeah. It's helpful though because. It's my passion. <laughs> yeah. And we need, you know, we have, I feel like in the community it's starting to develop where we have like experts in different areas because I am definitely not an expert in every area and you are, you are the voice of autism in the community because you've just taken it upon yourself to really educate yourself. You've had to advocate for your daughter and if anyone in the community has a question on, you know, spectrum issues, I'm always like, Lynn, you know, or you pipe in before I even have to tag you because you're in there like all the time. But surprisingly, we have a lot of families in there who are raising kids with dual diagnoses. Yeah. Interesting. If you asked me like, you know, five years ago, if I thought this would be my road, I would have said no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I bet if you ask anybody if this would be yeah. their road, anyone who's listening to this, who is on this journey raising any child with any kind of, you know, atypical behavior or mental struggle is yeah. to be like, no, did not think this would be my thing. But you give back. I feel like you're learning all this stuff. And I'm seeing this with a lot of the members, like they're taking all their stuff and their knowledge, and then they're helping other people. You become a huge asset to other parents who are coming into the community who will say, you know, my child is on the spectrum and they have anxiety or they have OCD. And you and just a bunch of other people are like, so does mine and so does mine. And I, I think just having that extra support is really helpful. Yeah. I started with the medical searches, but mm -hmm. I found those to be rather <laughs> almost depressing when it comes to ASD. So I've really tried to focus my attention to autistic adults, which is more uplifting. I don't feel like it's all doom and gloom. You know, my daughter is an amazing person. I appreciate her for everything. <laughs> She's really changed who I am. So yeah, I don't see the doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think the doom and gloom. No. Yeah. And I love that you don't because it's really just so and she is, I mean, I just feel like I'm getting to know her virtually. <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> watching her grow up from like through a screen and 
she's just so funny and so quirky and so like herself. Like I just love that she just embraces who she is and like, and the things that she says are like actually very funny too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My friend suggested I make like a mem notebook for her to read, but I'm not so sure. Often she asked me, mom, why are you laughing? <laughs> She's like, I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> you're like, well, you're funny. Yeah. yeah. Her with her rainbows, you know, she's just so, and she kind of reminds me of my kids. It's, see, six degrees back to my child. Yeah. <laughs> they always like similar things. So like, I guess she's not into unicorns anymore, but. She still likes them. Okay. Yeah, I'm it's unicorns like, and rainbows now because they go yeah. together. But. <laughs> I'm like doing rainbow and uh, unicorn emojis whenever I talk about your daughter. <laughs> I miss eight actually notified me yesterday. I'm trying to think why she told me this, but like and whenever I buy anything for them, I buy like unicorns and rainbows because both my son and my daughter like were obsessed with that. And yesterday okay. she's like, I don't like unicorns, mom. I'm like, since when? And oh, like, when that happens. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, no, don't like unicorns. And like, I'm like, I just bought you for Valentine's Day, like this unicorn with like a rainbow horn. She's like, well, I was just polite because it was nice of you to buy me that. <laughs> but, <laughs> devastating. I'm like, I don't even know you anymore. Who are you? They changed yeah, it. my daughter has been, yeah. The unicorn thing has been going on for a while. I mean, she used to wear a unicorn shirt to school every day. And I think probably some of the kids had said something. So she doesn't wear them to school any every day now. But um, she went to a birthday party and she stuck on her unicorn shirt. <laughs> so, and, then, and she's kept the foil balloons from her birthday, which was like the end of November. And I refilled them with air and she has them in her bedroom. And, yeah. Oh, that was smart that you were able to refill them. <laughs> Yeah, forever. Yeah. <laughs> She's like a big Beanie Boo collection too, doesn't she? Oh yes, we love the Beanie Boos. <laughs> she has a friend who equally loves them, so they have a great time. <laughs> That's lucky, you know, because it's nice to have you know another child who has kind of the same obsession. So that yeah. that definitely helps. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, some of that rigidity we saw early on was beyond the anxiety, you know, like having to wear that shirt or having to have things, that inflexibility, which goes beyond anxiety, like your typical anxiety, I think were some of those. Yeah, we have, yeah, we have quite a bit of that, like inflexibility. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she forgot to take her Valentine's on Friday and, uh, I was like, okay, well, you can take them on Tuesday because Monday was a holiday. And I purposely made sure they were in her backpack yesterday morning and she didn't give them out because it's not Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I know. I saw you posting that and I was like, I don't think she'll hand those out. It's not Valentine's yeah, Day. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh no, Kayla. <laughs> like, that day is over. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Why would I hand them out until next year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's that like just real black and white thinking and that real rigidity in a very concrete way that kind of made me feel like you were dealing with more than just anxiety. Yeah, along with the, the stuck thoughts, but they're not OCD thoughts. They're just thoughts that get stuck in our head that it needs to be, yeah, done this way. Right, because that's the way she saw it. it you know, it is, it is hard to parse out, but, and then approaching anxiety and OCD, and she doesn't have OCD, so I just keep throwing that in there, but she doesn't have OCD, but approaching those things a little bit differently. A lot of times, like you'll ask in the community, like, is there a way to describe this in a very like concrete way, like not with metaphors? 
I think that's the difference too. If I, if I think about the approaches I take with the kids who have ASD in my practice, or even the advice I give online, I, I'm very much like flowery and metaphors and metaphors galore when it comes to anxiety and OCD. And when I'm talking to a child with ASD, like I cut all that out. And yeah, because they're learning experience. Yeah. I have to like specify if I ask for book suggestions because yeah, she can't do all the abstract thinking that a lot of books use. It's just way over her head. So that's been yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think just being very concrete and not, you know, personifying necessarily depending on your child. So it's been, I think it's been really helpful to hear just the different signs to look for and how they overlap and how to maybe approach it in a little bit of a different way. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And also the community thanks you because you are like a pivotal part of the community in both the large Facebook group and in the AT Parenting community membership. So thank Thank you for that as well. (laughs) Thank you. So I hope you found our conversation helpful. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra seconds and you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. And I am doing an Instagram giveaway right now. So if you haven't been following me on Instagram, you can follow me at AT Parenting Survival and look at my profile and go to the post that says giveaway, follow the directions, and you can win a free class of mine. And they go for $127. So that would be actually a pretty cool prize. So hope to see you over at Instagram. And I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.